Thank you for listening to this teaching from the prayer room. For more teachings, notes, downloads, or to subscribe to our podcast, as well as information about who we are and our upcoming events, visit our website at tprdfw.com. Well, I'm excited to, uh, to continue in this, in this uh, series. Um, it's not often that, um, that we get to do um, a three or more part series um, with just the way that the teaching schedule goes. So um, when I saw the opportunity to do that for, for an encounter service, uh, I jumped on it. I had several different ideas, and this is the one that I, I was really feeling the Lord on. So like Luke said, the first session's available uh, online. You can go back and get the notes if you want that. Um, we're, we're looking at uh, the concept of when we dwell together, and I, I broke a lot of that down, and I'll do a little bit of a recap here in just a second, but first, I want to pray, so I'll do that, and we'll jump in. So, Father, we come to you right now and ask you for your presence, for your nearness, Lord, that you would release a witness to your word. God, we ask you for that which comes from heaven. Lord, we thank you for your spirit and for revelation, and we ask you for it tonight. Would you come and be in our midst? In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so this is session two. Uh, It's called Confident in Love in the When We Dwell Together series. So this is right in the middle of the the three-session series that is intended to give this ministry, the House of Prayer, the, the prayer room, a vision and high calling as a community. So as a, pre, as a priesthood, it's our goal, it's our vision to do something really specific, and that is minister to the Lord. And we do it together in this priestly ministry. So for this session, what I'm uh, hoping to do is really just hit at the heart and give us confidence to be able to operate as individuals, but also individuals as a part of a body, as a part of a community and uh, that we would be confident in love, as the title would suggest. So uh, one of the, the things that, that I think will just be beneficial is fewer distractions. I know that when I, when I have a prayer time to sit through and I'm just feeling so distracted, it can be so frustrating, and a lot of that uh, is based out of, you know, just whatever's going on in the day or week or whatever, or, you know, whatever you had for lunch or something. But... I want to be able to, to be in times of prayer that are long, loving hours and do that a whole lot. And I, I believe that you do too. And if you don't know that you want that, you really do. So you'll, you'll figure that out. So in the first session, we talked about uh, the blessing, uh, the commanded blessing that was uh, introduced in Psalm 133. And uh, when, I, when I first uh, went through that session, I had paired Psalm 132 and 133. Um, and, and knew about Psalm 134, but didn't even think to connect it. And uh, right afterward, Caitlin and I were, were having a conversation about this, and she was like, oh my gosh, 134 is right after that. It's the night watch. And so 132, the vow of David, 133, the commanded blessing on, on unity, and then 134, the night watch. These are house of prayer uh, psalms. And so we were talking about that and stuff. And then, and then last week when Matthew Lilly came through, he talked about Psalm 132, 133 and 134. So that was kind of cool to kind of be right there in the middle of that. So this is flowing out of 
that, uh, that high vision, that calling toward unity. But this is taking a little bit of a step back so that we can, can really kind of uh, check our own hearts and, and see where we're at so that we could participate in a fuller sense in the community, in the priesthood here at the prayer room. I want to um, take just a, a sidestep. As I was preparing for this, I was reminded of Malachi 2, 7. You know, here at the prayer room, we consider ourselves a priesthood, and, um, and throughout several uh, of the, the books of the prophets, there's this recurring theme of there's a, there was a failure in, in uh, several uh, parts of leadership to pass along the word, to, to shepherd over, or to, to have the word of the Lord, or to be uh, leaders in, in, the, in the community at that time. And one of the, the major uh, exhortations and even rebukes in, in many cases is to the priests because they weren't doing their job of, of priesting, of ministering to the Lord. So here in, in Malachi 2, it says, uh, I'm going to be in, in verse 7. This isn't in the notes, but I was just feeling the Lord, um, you know, highlighting this, this passage and uh, the chapter starts like this, and, <clears throat> and now, O priest, this commandment is for you. Now skip down to, to verse 7. It says, For the lips of a priest should keep knowledge. That's the first part. Here's the second. And people should seek the law from his mouth, for he's a messenger of the Lord of hosts. And so I'm thinking about us as ones who... For, for many of us, it's, we've got a two-hour block in the weeks that's scheduled out. We're sitting before the Lord. We're sitting in His presence. There's an expectation for the priesthood to have the Word of the Lord on our lips. And I just see that, you know, even uh, kind of get more and more of an expectation as, as we're um, involved more. The, it's kind of like, you know, the, the more sets we're on on the the sacred trust there's a bit more of an expectation for us to have the word of the lord and so i look at this as it's weighty it's like oh man there's an expectation and it's a right expectation for the priest to have the word of the lord that there wouldn't be um a, a people a priest uh, a priesthood who who are just you know there and not receiving from the lord or not ministering to the lord and so the, the good thing is, is there's an expectation, but there's also grace to get it. And so in this session, my aim is to have um, some, some uh, Bible verses, some passages for us to look at, to hopefully give us some confidence to go before the Lord, that number one, we'd minister to Him rightly, but two, that we could receive from Him and help fulfill this expectation that there would be the Word of the Lord on our lips. So let's look at uh, part, uh, session, where are we at? session two, part two, individuals and a family. So a familiar concept that we have in the church really is our individual uh, walks with the Lord. We, we talk a lot about, you know, this is my relationship with Jesus. This is a personal Savior. Uh, we talk a lot about uh, our own testimonies, which is all right. 
But at the same time, we, we want to have that framed within a corporate focus, within, within the fact that we are members of a body. That's really important for us to get. If you look throughout the Old Testament, you see so many times that it was, uh, it was, it was rarely an individual that was addressed. We have a lot of individual stories, but the storyline is all about a corporate focus. God talks to the people of God, to the children of Israel, to the church in, uh, in, a, in a certain city or whatever. And so we want to, to, of course, maintain our individual identity, but not at the cost of and not at the expense of the corporate focus. We are members of a body. We see Paul, uh, you know, really go and uh, develop that further. Uh, in his letter to the Corinthians. Um, and so this is, is really uh, something important for us to, to be framing. We have an individual responsibility to the community. And what that really boils down to is, as a part of the body, our individual vision, our individual uh, cooperation, our own spiritual health, but not just spiritual health, all other types of health, is really important for the success of the prayer room's mission to go forward. I mean, you think about any time that you've ever had an injury, and even, you know, you could maybe even highlight one of those obscure ones. I'm thinking about even, I remember uh, in, in high school, I uh, hyperextended my knee, which, you know, knees are not supposed to go backwards. It's not good. It hurts. But that, that kind of started a... Uh, a, a uh, trend of knee injuries leading, uh, you know, going forward. Uh, a couple years later, I actually dislocated my kneecap in an MMA fight. It was like crazy. We were, no, not really. We were playing Frisbee, and um, MMA sounds much cooler than Frisbee. I can make one up. It wouldn't be... You know, be on the fly. But anyway, um, <clears throat> so we're playing Frisbee. I go out, and I miss, I, I miss the Frisbee, but the first thing that lands on the ground is my kneecap. So it pops out. It's really gross. There's a great testimony story about this in, in, uh, in hearing the voice of the Lord. Luke, the doctor, was able to help get my kneecap back in place right on the spot. But anyway, the, the, the point to all this story was the kneecap is, this, is just this circ, this circular bone that sits right on top of the knee and it's kind of obscure you don't really think about kneecaps all that often but when one is out of place and hurting that's all you think about and and how much more when there's something out of place in a body when there's something that's that's hurting and and uh, and so we really do want to uh, make sure that that we are uh, doing our part cooperating with the mission, so that we can not only as individuals, but as the corporate, as the uh, priesthood would go forward. So how do we do this? How do we start? Well, I want to take a look at, um, in Matthew, uh, we're going to look at chapter 3. So right after the genealogy, you can go there if you want. I'm going to be looking at Matthew 3, starting in 16. It's also on the page. If you want to save yourself some time, I'm using the ESV uh, if you want to use a different version, you're welcome to do that. I'm going to not do an NIV joke right now. I'm going to just hold off on that. Um, 
So, uh, so let's look at Matthew 3. So I look at the way that Jesus interacted, uh, and obviously it's, it's intended to be a model, but I think that we really can, if we look at, uh, at this interaction that Jesus has with his cousin, at the baptism, uh, and what happens there, and then what unfolds after that, to really give us a good starting place. So... So Jesus goes to John the Baptist, and we get a glimpse into the fellowship and interaction of the Godhead. We get to see how Jesus submits to his Father. We get to see how the Father responds with with his just words of blessing. And then we get to see the Holy Spirit's interaction coming to rest on Jesus and testify of this is good and right. And you see this interaction uh, between the three. So here in Matthew 3, 16, when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, this is my beloved Son, with whom I'm well pleased. I think we can take a lot from this interaction this is, is the, the kind of uh, kickoff to, to what would become Jesus' uh, ministry amongst the people. This was kind of the first step that he did. He said to fulfill righteousness, this is the way to do it. John is like, this is very embarrassing for me to, to baptize you. Uh, but, you know, Jesus persists and, and it's, um, it's accomplished. And then... As a result of submitting to this process, the Holy Spirit descends and the Father's voice is heard. This is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. Jesus participating in the will of God and the Holy Spirit and the Father both testifying, two witnesses establishing that this is a good thing that Jesus is doing. Now, I think about this sometimes, and I, it might just be because we're so uh, inundated with so many, like, uh, superhero stories, but I think sometimes we, we might view this interaction as, like, the origin story of how Jesus got his superpowers, but that's not exactly what's going on here. What, what's happening is this is a model of an earthen vessel, of a jar of clay receiving a treasure. He's receiving... The, the Holy Spirit, he's receiving the, the seal of approval from his Father and the blessing that comes along with submitting to, uh, to the Father's will. And it's, it's something amazing, but it's also something for us. We can also uh, come into agreement with God's will. And one of the, the prayers that I, I just think about so many times as just such a worthy um, Bible verse to pray into is in Colossians 1.9, that we'd be filled with the knowledge of His will. It's such an important thing, and it's so available. I think about so many times uh, of, you know, you do, you're thinking about something, you are not quite sure, and you, you go and you make a decision, and, you know, maybe you, you end up, it's like, wow, that was the will of God, you stumble forward in that. I love when that happens, but I would so much rather knowingly and strategically partner with what God is doing. 
to be able to know from heaven, okay, this is what's happening. This is the part that you have to play. You should do this. So to be able to, to partner with God's will, to be filled with the knowledge of his will, that, we'd be, that we would have wisdom and discernment and be able to move forward in confidence knowing I don't really, it doesn't matter what the circumstances look like. This is God's will and I'm able to participate. That is such a, an amazing thing to be able to, to look back on decisions, to look back at where you are in life and say, I am where I am because I strategically and knowingly participated with the will of God for my life, with the will of God for my community. And it's available. He wouldn't advertise that if it wasn't available. It's available, and more than that, it's encouraged. So that's just a little freebie. Spend some time praying Colossians 1.9. So um, I'm at the top of page 3 if you're not already there. So the voice of the Father testifies to, to, to who Jesus is, specifically the relationship. He, he begins to uh, declare, this is my son, my beloved son. And then developing it further in whom I'm well pleased. This is so important when, when uh, I think about um, you know, just all the family dynamics when there's siblings involved. Think about your own, your own family or families that you know, and you can, can uh, already start to think up all of the sibling dynamics and all of the different uh, ways that, that the, the children interact with the parents based off of, uh, based off of what, what number they are in the order. Like, oh, man, I'm the third. You know what that means. Or like, oh, I'm the oldest. You know what that means? Like, there's so many things. And then you talk to the baby, and it's like, oh, man. <laughs> you know, there, there's that. And, and so you guys already know those type of things. But when, when a child knows I'm loved, I am, don't tell anyone, I'm my dad's favorite. Like, when you know that, it changes everything. It changes the way that you approach your parents, it, it changes the way that you interact with, with your siblings. It changes the way that you, uh, that you move in life. And this was such an important uh, moment for Jesus because not only was it something that was testified to him, but it was also backed up and endorsed by the Holy Spirit. So Jesus, able to operate in confidence. This was such an important moment. And the reason you know it's such an important moment is the very next thing happens is Jesus is led out into the wilderness for this truth to be tested. He gets the opportunity to now walk out and flesh out this new revelation. I think he already knew it, but to, to have this moment sealed and backed up by the Holy Spirit and have it, uh, have it be this kind of occasion gave Jesus the confidence to be able to go out into the wilderness led by the Holy Spirit to be tested. So we look at this in, uh, in Matthew 4, so the, the next passage over. 4, uh, 3, the tempter came and said to him, if you're the son of God, look at this, the very first thing that the accuser, the tempter, is using to leverage against Jesus. Jesus just heard in the, in the, uh, in the baptism, you're my beloved son, this one is my son. I'm well pleased. The very first thing that, that is tested by the enemy 
if you are the son of God, then do this. Happens two times. First one, if you're the son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. Jesus answers. It's written, man shall not live by bread alone, but every word that comes from the mouth of God. Again, in the second uh, tempting here, if you're the son of God, throw yourself down. Then, uh, Then Jesus responds, again, it's written, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. So already two different times in this series of temptations that, that Jesus faced. If you are the Son of God, basically, hey, there's some reason to doubt. He's trying to, to get Jesus to doubt. But Jesus, in confidence and equipped with the Word of God, goes forward. And then the last one, he not only has, uh, has questioned, put into question, and tried to get Jesus to doubt his, his sonship, his relationship, but then he begins to, uh, to tempt him about his inheritance. He says this, all these I'll give to you if you'll fall down and worship me. Obviously, the enemy is about getting worship, but Jesus knows that his inheritance is guaranteed and it's from the Father. And we'll, we'll see that come back up again. Jesus was able to operate from a place of success from a place of already knowing already knowing who he was Jesus was was confident in love confident in his relationship with the father confident in knowing where he came from where he was going what he was to be about Jesus was able to, to I I imagine sometimes you know, the different, uh, different uh, professions in, in life. Because I, I just look at, at some people who are just so high-performing, like ultra-entrepreneur type, type individuals. I'm like, you're human, I think. You wake up probably with just like, you know, you give yourself a pep talk in the mirror and like slap yourself around or something. Or like, how do you go throughout your day so, so motivated or envisioned or whatever it is for you to be that, that high performing or, or whatever, so successful? And so we, we look at these, these type of individuals and we're like, man, by these metrics, they are just ultra successful. How do they do it? Well, when, when I think about, you know, comparing that to, like, how did Jesus wake up? How, did, how was Jesus able to go throughout his day? One of the things that I'm confident of is Jesus woke up with the assurance and with the confidence of knowing, I'm my Father's beloved Son. I don't have to work for anything. I don't have anything to prove. I mean, you look at some of the, the ways that he was tempted from, from Pharisees or from others, or from, from the devil himself, he's like, if you are the Son of God, then do this. Prove it. Jesus had nothing to prove. He had nothing. I mean, we look at, at the way that, uh, that interactions fall out with his family. It's like, man, Jesus had some interesting family dynamics. He had nothing to prove. He had nothing that he had to, um, to, to put on display so that someone would believe Oh, no, you really are the Son of God. He was not about proving it for the sake of, of, 
approval of anybody else because he already had the approval of his father, the most important thing. He was already operating out of the place of success and value. He already knew his worth. He already knew he was a a success before he did anything. Well, the good news is that Jesus not only modeled this relationship, he invites us into it. He wants us as his disciples to have the same relationship at the same depth that he had. And one of the places where this is most clear is in the John 13 through 17 passage in that uh, corridor that, that I believe the Lord is just highlighting right now. Just about everywhere I turn, I hear this ministry, this stream, this, this teacher, this person is like, oh man, right now, John 13 or 14 through 17 is just like really capturing my heart right now. I really feel the Lord emphasizing it. I've heard that so many times. And in my own, in my own uh, uh, encounters with the Lord, I really feel like this is something that, that is on the menu for the church right now. But I want us to take a look at this passage. It's in uh, the first part of John 13. Developing further the way that Jesus was able to interact. Now, one of the things that is, is really clear is Jesus knew that his time was near. He knew he was about to to uh, be handed over. He knew he was about to be uh, uh, martyred, to be crucified. He knew that he was about to go through some things, but for the joy set before him, he endured. Now, one of the other things that is really important to, to catch in this is knowing that his time was near, he did a few things and said a few things that were very intentional. We don't all get the heads up and the benefit of knowing this is your last day. You know, uh, you have this, this many hours, spend them like this. Jesus knew that he was about to be betrayed, that he would be handed over. And so he spent the time wisely. He spent it very intentionally. So let's look at what he said in John 13. I'm in the middle of page four. Now... Before the feast of Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During supper, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him. Here's the part that I want us to, uh, to develop and uh, unpack. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he'd come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper, and then he served. He washed their feet. This is one of the most empowering things that I, that I can imagine, looking at the way that Jesus served. So, so, yes, he washed their feet, which there's, I mean, you've heard so many sermon illustrations about that, but... Without going into that, think about the way that Jesus served and the place that he was serving from. So look at this again. Jesus, first part, Jesus knowing that the Father had given him all things into his hands. He was sure of his inheritance. He knew already, I am beloved of my Father 
I've got the smile of God and the attention of God. His ears are, are uh, listening for me. His eyes are watching for me. He's got a smile on, on his face. And he's already given me everything that I could have ever wanted. The inheritance is already settled. So that's part one. The second is that he had come from God. He knew where he came from. He knew that he was God's son. Knowing that he is God's son gave him the confidence to live, to say things, to serve in this way, to do so many of the things that he did because where he came from. And then the last part, and he knew he was going back to God. When we know who we are, where, we're, where we came from, and where we're going, it changes everything. Jesus was secure. He knew who he was. He knew where he came from. He had nothing to prove. He had nothing to earn. He already had everything. We too can operate out of contentment and confidence in the same way that Jesus did. This empowered Jesus to love well to the end. This gave Jesus the confidence to be able to operate out of love. I think about some of the ways that we uh, serve, the way that we do things. Um, man, I, I just, I remember thinking about, uh, I, I never got allowance growing up, but I remember hearing about the concept of allowance. And I was like, you get paid to do your chores? Like, what? That's crazy. I, I will spare myself, like, correction and spankings if I do my, chair, my chores. Like, that's an incredible motivation. I would probably, like, do my chores double if I knew I was getting paid or whatever. Like, hearing the concept of that, knowing that, that you know, there's, there's two families maybe on the same street operating under completely different rules was, like, mind-boggling to me, like... How is this even possible? But, but I think about sometimes of the, the motivation. Sometimes, you know, we do stuff because uh, we, we just, we're trying to be a good example because we know it's the right thing to do. Some of those, you know, godly characteristics. Sometimes we do stuff because we're just trying to stay out of trouble. Like, we do stuff because it's like, I know that someone's watching right behind me, and if I don't pick up this piece of trash right now, like, I'm going to look like I'm a jerk. And so some of the times we do stuff, and it's because we just don't want to look bad. Some of the times we do stuff, and it's like, you know, you're trying to, to do penance because you just made someone real mad, and you're just trying to do something to get back on their good side. Like, you know, you're trying to do everything that you can to to be, you know, make up for whatever. Like, we, we have so many different motivations of why we do certain things. But the most powerful one that, the most powerful motivation that we can operate out of is knowing that we are beloved, is knowing that we're favored already, and knowing that we don't have anything to prove, but we've already got everything. So I think about this in the way that Jesus served. And I think about what must have been flowing from his heart when in truth and in sincerity he could look up at Judas's face knowing that Judas was about to betray him. Knowing that Judas was about to hand him over to be arrested. But look at him 
not out of like, hey, Judas is going to wash your feet now and, you know, like try and dislocate his toe or something like he washed his feet and served him in love, knowing what he was about to do. He looked at Peter, who <laughs> I love Peter so much. I used to, I used to, I don't, you know, obviously we don't, don't know the apostles, but I used to, in my relationship with Peter, when I was first, uh, first walking with the Lord, as I would read, I'd be like, oh my gosh, Peter, well, that dude. But now as, you know, <clears throat> a couple years go by, I'm like, oh, Peter, I feel you, man. Oh, like I identify so much with, with Peter in, in weakness and in like, oh, he's so zealous to do the right thing, but man, he just overdoes it sometimes. And Jesus is like, Peter, calm down in the way that he gets corrected. But like <clears throat> in this interaction, Peter is, 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 you know, he's just so zealous. And I, I just love the interaction that's happening. But you know, Jesus comes to Peter and he's like, no, Jesus, never, you'll never wash my feet. And he's like, Peter, I'm doing this to, you don't understand it right now, but let me do this. And he's like, no, I won't, I'll never let you wash my feet. And he's like, Peter, if you don't let me do this, you won't have a part with me. He's like, oh, in that case, wash my head and wash my hair and my, my whole body. And Jesus is like, Peter, this is the feet washing. Look up at the top of the chapter. It says feet washing. It doesn't say whole body washing. So I think about it, and I'm like, oh, he, he's looking up at Peter, who he knows is about to betray him in just a, a few short hours. He's going to betray him three times, but yet, because Jesus knew who he was, where he came from, where he was going, that he was beloved from the Father, he's able to look at Peter in his weakness, but in his zeal, who's about to betray him, and look at, at Peter and say... Dude, I love you. And he's washing his feet in sincerity. He's looking at the other disciples who would be scattered. He's looking at, at Thomas, who, who's confused and doubting. And, and like he's looking at, at these disciples who he's, he's, he's spent these past few years trying his best to portray what it really looks like to be a beloved son, what it really looks like to operate in relationship and love your brother as yourself. He's, he's doing everything that he can, but knows that they're not ready to hear everything that, that, he's, that he has to say. And even the things that he has said, they didn't fully get and wouldn't get for years. And it would be the job of the Holy Spirit to bring back up in their memory and then give them clarity. He knows that he's leaving them with, with as much as he could give them, but they were just completely full. They, were, they had such low capacities, but he's looking at them and in love and in full security serving them. And I look at that and I'm like, oh my gosh, I do so many things out of good intentions or like halfway like good motives or I just at least don't want to look bad or, you know, whatever. Like we do so many things and it's like, oh, if I could just grab hold of this. If I could 100% of the time operate out of, I'm a beloved son. I don't have anything to prove, but I'm going to serve in sincerity, in love. I'm going to serve. I'm going to do it. Well, we do have something uh, that is very special for us, the spirit of adoption. I want us to take a look at it. It's in Galatians 
3. Now, when I think about Galatians, I think about uh, just so many, uh, just like, Paul ain't playing around. Some of the, the things that Paul says in Galatians, like, wow, Paul, that's the MMA fighter right there. That's the, that's the fighting uh, book right there. The, some of the things that, that he says. But one of the, uh, the passages that I, that I just love to, to uh, go back to when I'm thinking about, about being a son of God is here in Galatians 3. Now, one of the things that's uh, just important to clarify, there are these, these interesting uh, titles that as Christians we get to like wear and uh, deal with mentally or whatever, like get, get past the stigma of it. So everyone is the body of Christ. That's a good one. It's like, okay, I get that. Many members of one body. But everyone's also the bride of Christ. Now, that's kind of interesting. It's like, okay, bride of Christ. It's in the Bible, and I'm a bride of Christ. Okay, I'm part of the bride. Uh, that's probably easier for half of the population than it is for another half of the population to get. But another title that we get is we're all sons of God. Now, the idea here is regardless of gender, the idea of, of a son of God really is to think about like, the, the family with the firstborn son and all of the privileges that come along with that and all of the ways that that firstborn son gets that the second son doesn't get. I'm a, I'm a second son. What that meant for me was I always got to pick Luigi whenever we played Nintendo. <laughs> and... I always had the, the second controller with the one button that didn't work quite as well as the first one. Or I would, you know, just the second, it's like, man, being second brother builds characters, what that does. And, uh, but, but the idea is to, to think about the position, the relationship, the rights, the privileges that a son has, and specifically the firstborn son, the, the heir. The firstborn son is the heir. That's the most important part to get out of, out of all of that, that title. So let's look at Galatians 3, starting verse 25. But now that faith has come, we're no longer under a guardian, and is referring to the law at that point. For in Christ Jesus, you're all sons of God. Catch that. In Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God. Through faith, for as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. Skip down to 4, 4 through 7. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of his Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you're no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. We have this unique position, but somehow it's multiplied across the board to where we also become heirs. So in Christ, we are sons of God. We have the spirit of adoption. And because we're in Christ, 
He sent forth His Spirit so that we could be adopted as sons and that we could have that same position. The idea that you want to get here is that relationship, that nearness, that those rights, those privileges to be able to do that. Now, this can, can seem kind of like, okay, I've heard that. I've heard songs about it. Why, do, why is this important? I think this is one of those things that, that is really only uh, that, that you get by revelation. And if, if this is not something that is like living understanding to you, I want to encourage you to, to really meditate on, the, on this passage and passages like it. Give you a, an idea of what I'm talking about. In uh, Matthew 16, 13, this is where, where Jesus is talking to his disciples and, he's, and he says, who do men say that I am? And they're like, uh, some say you're probably one of the prophets. No one's quite sure. And he says, well, who do you say that I am? And Peter speaks up again, Peter, my boy. He's like, well, you're the son of God. You're the Christ. And he's like, Peter, that's right. I, I, I kind of wasn't expecting that from you. Very good, Peter. That wasn't revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father who's in heaven. There are certain truths that are revealed by the Father. It's, it's the difference between the Logos and the Rhema. A couple, couple words for you to know. Uh, if, you, if you don't know those words, the Logos, that's the Word of God. We, we read the Word of God, but the Rhema, that is the, that's the, ooh, let me read that one again. Like, I felt something on that. That's the rhema. That's, the, that's what the Lord is speaking at that moment. That's the word of the Lord for that moment. And we want both. But, man, that rhema is sweet. It's that revelation. I think about how, how, uh, how often we pray Ephesians 1.17 and how, like... I don't know, I guess I just have weird thoughts sometimes, but I think about like if if Ephesians 1 was to be like on an infomercial, it would be like the one like as seen on TV product where it's like, you can use this thing on everything, like check this out, bam. Like you put Ephesians 1.17 on just about everything. But I want to look at it in its in its context and the way that uh, that Paul is is going for it. And you can tell the context of what he's talking about is he really wanted the Ephesians to know who they were, where they were coming from, and where they were going. He wanted them to know that there was power available to us if we would get this uh, as, as living understanding. And so he prayed specifically, hey guys, I'm praying for the spirit of wisdom and revelation because if you can get this, it will change your entire life. Ephesians, get it. Because if you get this, your life will be radically different. You will have something that is so, uh, so unique and super powered. Like, you will, you will live out your existence completely different than anyone on the planet. And so here's what he says. I pray that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. Here's why. Having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he's called you. Point one. He wants us. I'm putting us in the, in the church of Ephesus right now. He wants us 
to know the hope to which he's called us. I think back to the, the, the Bible verse that the Lord really called me out of darkness with, and it was that Jeremiah 29, 11. I got it, uh, I believe it was for around my high school graduation. My, my sister gave it to me. It was like on one of those uh, like uh, Lifeway or Mardell little you know, cards that you hand somebody or whatever. It was like it had this really cool sunset over this road that was going off into the distance, and it said, Jeremiah 29, 11, for I know the plans I have for you. I was living so aimless and so lost and so dumb, and I looked at that, for, the, the, for I know the plans I have for you. And I was like, oh, man, there are plans for me? I'm just doing whatever I want. And that, that really began to speak to me even before I was following the Lord. But here's what the Lord is saying. I really want you guys to know the hope to which he's called you. Point two, what are the riches of his, in, of his glorious inheritance in the saints? Meaning, Jesus got a really sweet deal. Do you know what that deal was? He got you. He got the saints as, as a companion for eternity. Well, we look at that, we might say, well, it kind of seems like a bad deal, Jesus. Like, I'm not that awesome. In our weakness, we have deficiencies, obviously. But when we operate in the same way that Jesus did, out of the place of success, already knowing that we have the Father's attention and that His smile is upon us and that we are like beloved sons, we are the firstborn son with rights and privileges and in, in, uh, in the heir, the heir to the throne, the heir to the estate, we operate differently, and when we live that way, there's something sweet that happens, and Jesus already knows it, that Jesus has a glorious inheritance, and it's in the saints. Last part, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe? There is power, and I, I, I think that the Ephesians tapped into this. But it's something that we can tap into as well. There is immeasurable power available to us when we're operating out of the understanding that we are beloved sons. That his smile is upon us. That his pleasure is already on us. That we have the spirit of adoption. That we can go through life that circumstances cannot touch that whatever bad thing or, or good thing can happen, we don't have to worry about, about our, our past successes or failures dictating the way that we move forward, tainting the way that we operate. With, you know, it, it, it doesn't uh, like color us with, with pride or with, with shame. Our past successes and failures are in the past, and they, they really shouldn't touch what we're doing today. But when we operate out of that, there is immeasurable power toward us who believe. It's the same power that worked in Christ in raising him from the dead. Later in Ephesians 3, Paul continued and developed. I'm just going to read the prayer. Ephesians 3.16, according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened 
with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love. There it is again. That you may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth to know the love of Christ that, pa- that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. This is our lot. It is for us. This is our portion that we'd be filled with the fullness of God and nothing less. There's grace available. There is power immeasurable available to us when we operate out of this understanding. And I want to encourage you, if this is something that is not just so concrete and that you're just like, man, I I get it, which I don't think any of us have it to the fullness I want to encourage you to meditate on this. Meditate on what it truly means to to be beloved of the Father, to be one who the Father has with uh, a smile on his face when when he looks at you, when he thinks about you. Later in this um, passage, going back to the John 13 through 17, some look at, at the pinnacle of this whole passage, the, the, the very uh, climax of this passage as 15.9. I've heard it said that it, it kind of all ramps up to this and then, and then continues on. But, but one of the, the most key verses that I think about is John 15.9. Jesus describing to his disciples, as the Father has loved me. This is right after, abide in my love if you're, if you're in me, you're connected like a, a branch to a vine. You'll bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Abide in me. It is, it is the only way you'll make it forward. If you abide in me, your love and your joy will be filled. So he says, as the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Think about that. In the same way that God the Father who looked down at Jesus and said, this is my beloved son in whom I will please. In that same love that the father had for Jesus, Jesus loves you. He loves us in that same way. I was reminded even as I was preparing for this message, I'm in the office and I'm, I'm at my desk and, and typing up the notes and, and my girls will just come and sit in my lap and... They don't care that I'm working or typing. And it's like, I love that. The, the fact that they know that they can come and approach boldly is so encouraging. That even while their dad is, I don't know, I don't know if they get the concept of he's at the computer, he's typing, he must be busy. But it doesn't matter. He, they just come up and it's like, what a glorious distraction right now for for them to be able to feel that confidence and not like i hope i don't get yelled at here it goes you know and just and just plop down it's like they don't have that thought like oh i mean i just think about my own childhood or or, you know think about your own it's like man if that was if that thought Never crossed your mind like, I can go up to my dad whenever. I won't, <laughs> I don't want to, anyway, I'm not going to speak ill of anyone, but 
That was not the case. Anyway, um, being able to go up and, uh, and approach your father boldly, knowing that, that you already have the approval, knowing that, that there's a smile on your father's face when he looks at you, knowing that his ear is pointed towards you and attentive, knowing that his eye is watching you, knowing that, that the father looking at you is, is, is a gaze of affection, is one of approval, is completely different than walking around with the shame or walking around with the hesitation of like, I hope I don't get hit right now just being near there's such a radically different way to approach life that way. But it's for us. It's for us that we would live out of the, the place of approval, out of the place of our Father loves us, so that we could move forward in confidence. This is for us. And I think about the way that the prayer room operates. What would it be like if we were journeying this as a community, really laying hold of the, the Father's pleasure, I think it would change the way that we uh, sit in a, in a sacred trust. I think it would change the way that, that uh, we lead worship or prayer lead, knowing I, I, it's been one of the uh, prayer topics. You know, we do our revival prayer meeting, our revival uh, prayer times during the devotional meetings. And um, we do the prayer tips. One of the, the prayer tips that I've just been really locking into here recently is remember God enjoys you. And I think about the way that I pray when, I, when I'm fresh in the, in the understanding or the thought of God likes me. God looks at me with a smile. He, he knows, obviously, that there's... I mean, he knows all about me and all the weaknesses and deficiencies and all the grace and all the mercy he's shown me and how many times I've repented for that same thing over and over and over. He knows all of those things. And in light of that, he looks at me as a beloved son, one that I could go and while he's at his office chair, go and plop down. I think about that. And the way that it changes the prayers, the way that it changes how I approach God, I think that, that it would radically change the way that, that we are in this room together, the way that we minister to the Lord together. I think it would, it would change the way that, that we look at uh, the fire on the altar. I think we look at it with great reverence and and, uh, and uh, honor and respect and things like that. But what if, what if we also began looking at it as the fire on the altar is, as, uh, as coming before the, the, the bonfire of God's love? You know, looking at it as, as coming before the Father who, who already is smiling before we say anything. I think about the way that, that we could interact in, in the midst of these five walls, because I think there's a diagonal back there. 
in the midst of these walls, how we could, how we could spend those times and, and, and start to turn them even more into long, loving hours in the presence of God. Another thing I think about is how it would affect the way that we minister together, the way that we serve one another. And that's what we'll be looking at in the third session, in serving one another in love. So I'm going to pray for us. I'm going to invite you to stand as I pray. Worship leader, come on up. Father, we come to you right now and ask that you would give us a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of you. That you would touch our hearts and enlighten the eyes of our hearts that we could know you. At the love that you have for us. The way that you see us. God, right now I pray for for anyone who's had their own issues with their with their father being rough or even being absent that really taints the picture that we have of you. Right now for anyone who's who struggles with the thought of a father lovingly in lovingly looking and smiling with that approval. God, I ask right now that you would come and that you would minister. God, I pray that you would heal wounds right now, that you would heal hearts. Father, I pray that you would come, that you would speak to to any of those wounds, that you would speak truth.
This concludes this teaching from the prayer room. For more resources, please visit our website at tprdfw.com. Thank you.